Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdina Osband. Our daf of the day, Masarit Kutubot, daf tet vav, page 15. I want to begin, continue, discuss a theme that we already talked about yesterday that has tremendous implications throughout halachic literature. It's rooted in, or it's at, at the source at the heart of some of the issues in Ketubot, but our example today is not a Ketubot example. It's not about marriage, it's not about divorce, it's not about widows, etc. Um, what we, but what, where it did appear yesterday already was in the discussion of the presumptions about the nature of the people in the place, right? The givens. And the givens depend on what you can just assume. And I know what they say about assuming, but the point is that when you have a, a population that you can, you know, hazard a guess that the it's the odds are good. What does it mean the odds are good? It means that you've got a majority, a sense of the majority of the place. And the discussion of what is the majority, what is the, and the term is always in halacha, it's always rov. Rov meaning, like the word rabim means many, the term rov means majority. And that sense of halacha, uh, I'm sorry, that sense of rov has tremendous bearing on many different areas of halacha, many different decisions, and all kinds of determinations of practice. But our example, as I said, is not a ketubot example. It is quite literally about meat, shopping for meat. Goof, I'm on page 15, towards the top, not the very top, towards the middle of Amadal. Gufa Amar Rabbi Zera, kol kavua kamechta al dami ben l'kula ben l'chuma. So, Rabbi Zayra gives an example. When you have, and the question is, you know, when you find something, what's the status of the thing that you find? You don't know exactly what it is. Meaning if you knew what it is, then there's no, there's no discussion, right? There has to be some kind of suffix, some kind of doubt, some kind of uncertainty with regard to whatever it is that you're trying to determine what the status is, right? And Rabbi Zayra's first example is where you've got mechta al mechsa, meaning you've got an even likelihood of, of, the more stringent case or the more lenient case. And so then he said, or the position is ben l'kula ben l'chumra, meaning whether you're going to follow the leniency or the lenient approach, or you're going to follow a stringent approach, the bottom line is when you've got equal, equal determination, then, then you don't, then, then there's, you end up following, either you're going to end up following a stringent approach or you're going to end up just kind of like calling it a day because it's literally half and half. But the Gemara goes on to talk about the case of a majority and that majority rule allows for leniencies like nothing else. So the Gemara wants to know how is it that Rabbi Zera learned that the whole decision-making about or a, or a status assessment when you have something that you're not sure, sure what it is, right? How do you, how, why is he talking about something that's equally balanced when otherwise you would think that you would end up with a lenient approach or a stringent approach? So the, the example that's given, it's literally shopping for meat. You're in a city, and I guess it's like the, the meat district, right? Where you end up with nine stores in a row. All of them are are selling meat that is kosher. It has been shechted properly. It has been slaughtered in a kosher fashion. And there's one store on the row that sells novella, that sells um, trafe meat, right? Meat that is not kosher, carcasses that have from unslaughtered, unritually slaughtered animals. And the person buys meat from one of these stores. 
and then goes home, right? And says, like, yo, I don't know which store I bought from. So what happens? The example here is he bought the meat, right? He's not sure whether he bought from the one store that had prohibited meat or from one of the nine stores that had kosher meat. So that's the that's the question, right? That he that he has bought the meat here. But what happens if the case is that the meat was found in the street outside the stores? Meaning it's one thing to say we're going to be machmir, we're going to be stringent because the guy walked into a store and if he's lost his memory and he do- or whatever and he doesn't know where he was, then it's one thing to say that we're going to maybe we ought to be stringent. But the Gemara gives this example of meat that's found in the street. And then you say, well, where did this meat, I suppose, in a wrapped package, and they're all using the same, you know, paper and string, whatever, right? And so you don't know where it came from. And the Gemara says, but you can follow the majority of the stores, meaning because most of them are selling kosher meat, then the odds are good or good enough that the meat would be kosher, and you can then eat the meat, meaning treat it like kosher food. Even though you're not sure, we remove that uncertainty and say, go home, eat your food. So there, in that first case, right, when we're talking about when we're talking about a situation where it's an equally un- it's equally uncertain whether it's going to be a kosher store or not a kosher store, that would be the stringency, right? Meaning that would be, we'd say, we're going l'chumra, as opposed to in a case that when you've got the majority. Now, I want to say that this is such the tip of the iceberg, meaning the Gemaras that talk about Rove are, there's plenty of them. And, you know, it even goes on now on this stuff. We talk about what if you have, you know, nine frogs, right? Where the frogs, literally, nine frogs, which are not kosher, right? And then what if you have, and, and, but the question is, you know, to what extent are they going to make you tummy? And then another one will not make you tummy. And you're not sure which of the creepy crawlies or which of these creatures you have touched are you going to become ritually impure or not right and you would think that you'd automatically be stringent because we're talking about two mantara but it's not so simple because again if you're talking about the majority then the majority may determine that you that you could just assume that you're not tame because most of the creepy crawlies do not actually impart i I shouldn't call them creepy crawlies most of these creatures do not impart um tuma so the the point here of how do you know what the rove is? I'm sorry. How do you know whether the rove is going to give you the opportunity to be lenient is the subject of just a tremendous amount of discussion. Also in the Gemara, also in Rishonim, um, there are reams of paper, you know, ink dedicated to the discussion of um, how you establish the halacha based on the majority. So this is very, as I say, tip of the iceberg. I wanted to see it inside because we're going to see it come up throughout Kitubot, but also throughout everything else. Um, yeah, and we've seen this example before. It's one of those kind of like standard halachic questions, you know, that's sort of, uh, it's a halachic, it's a standard halachic scenario that gets referred to in many different masachtot. So just remember this case of sort of the, you know, the found meat with the nine out of 10 kosher butcher stores. Um, I'm going to move down to Amud Bet right before the end of the parak, and we'll start the new parak tomorrow. We have this case of uh, an abandoned baby that we find. And the question is, can, how do we determine if this baby is a Jewish baby or a non-Jewish baby? So Gufa, right? They're going back to this, uh, uh, this subject that they mentioned before. 
right? So let's say in a city, right, that you have both Jews and non-Jews, somebody finds an abandoned baby. If the city is mostly non-Jewish, we assume the baby is non-Jewish. If the city is majority of Jews, we assume the baby is Jewish. If it's half and half, Yisrael, we assume it's a Jewish baby. Rav said that the Chachamim teach that this baby is a Jew only when it has to do to keeping the baby alive. But when it comes to lineage, we, you know, maybe we're not as, so like the point is, is that yes, you should go out of your way to save this baby. That's what Rav is saying. Um, now, I know this may make people uncomfortable because some of the implication is, is that if it wasn't a Jewish baby, we would not save it. But the idea is, is that someone Jewish should take in this baby. But when it comes to lineage, it's not so clear we can make the assumption it's a baby. Um, Shmuel says, Shmuel says that we're going to consider it a Jew when it comes to a question of what this literally means is opening, creating an opening in a heap uh, of uh, uh, a heap on Shabbat, meaning if you have this baby and you need to be Machal Shabbos for it, you can basically assume it's Jewish and you can be Machal Shabbos for it. Again, getting into something a little bit uncomfortable, and this gets into a much bigger issue, which is there are Gemaras that talk about that maybe there are things we don't do for Jewish people, like being Michal El Shabbat, or this example of the baby and being Lechayot. Uh, I, I want to point out that there's definitely discussion amongst the Rishonim that sort of the definition of a non-Jew in the time of the Gemara, particularly in the Me'iri, and you can all look, the Me'iri is a medieval commentator from Provence, um, that, you know, what we consider a non-Jew uh, today is not the non-Jew of the Gemara. At the time of the Gemara, the non-Jew tends to be really sort of obde of, uh, you know, kochabim. It's an idolater. But today, when really we sort of think of many non-Jews sort of have, they don't practice the same religious religion as us, but they sort of can have the same religious sort of uh, value as us, right? They have some sort of religious morality that guides their life. Many of these laws would not actually apply. But I, I wanted to just read this Gemara because I think it's important to acknowledge these Gemaras are actually, they're out there. Then the Gemara goes on to say, ask if Shmuel really said this. They quote a different uh, teaching from Shmuel. When it comes to Pikuach Nefesh, we don't follow the majority. In other words, we don't need this previous statement, even if there's the slightest chance that somebody is a Jew, of course, we're Machalel Shabbat for that. Ella ki itmar Shmuel. Rather, when the statement of Shmuel was stated about, you know, saving a life, Aresha itmar, it was stated concerning the first clause of the Mishnah. Im rog goyim goy, right? It was talking about if it's a majority of Gentiles in the city and the baby is going to be considered to be a Jew, a non-Jew, right? But when it comes to, you know, Amar Shmuel, ulepakei achalav etagal eno came. Right, Shmuel saying, but with regard to sort of opening, you know, in other words, clean, clearing out debris because you think somebody may uh, may be underneath there, this is not so. In other words, uh, you don't follow the majority when it comes to saving a life. So the point here is, is that if there's an off chance this baby could be Jewish, of course you're Machal Shabbos. That's what Shmuel is trying to say. Im rov goyim goy, So the Mishnah goes on to say, if the majority of the city is non-Jews, 
the baby is considered to be not Jewish. So what is, what's the halacha for this? In other words, what's the practical implication for this? I'm a Rav Papa, So Rav Papa says it was about if could you feed this baby non-kosher food, basically, in a vela, non-kosher, you know, an animal carcass, right? Im rov Yisrael Yisrael. And this part of the mission that says if the majority is a Jew, we say the baby's a Jew. Lamai hilchata, right? What's the halachic implication there? I'm a Rav Papa, Rav Papa says that you have to return lost property to it. So again, another halacha that appears in the Gemara is, is that you don't have to return lost property to a non-Jew. Again, going back to what I mentioned before, some of the Rishonim, the commentators will explain that our concept of a non-Jew today is different than what the Gemara is talking about with the non-Jew, but I, I, these Gemaras are totally out there. Mechatzah, mechatzah, right? If it's half and half Yisrael, lemai hilchatzah. Okay, again, we say it's uh, Yisrael. What's the halachic practical practicality here. I'm a rich lucky when it comes to damages, right? That in other words, we know that the Jewish courts require payments to Jews, but do not require payments to non-Jews. Hey, So what would the circumstances be? If we say that our ox, a Jewish ox, scored a non-Jewish ox, right? Uh, you basically, uh, you know, lame lay. Right? Let the owner of the ox that gourd say to him, bring proof that you're Jewish and make a payment. Because if a, a Jewish ox gores a non-Jewish ox, they actually don't need to uh they don't need to make a payment. Let's So they say no. This is only in a case, they only need this, right? Where his ox gored our ox. In other words, when the non-Jewish ox scored a Jewish ox, okay, plaga Michelin, because in that case, the non-Jew would have to pay half the damages. The Idach plug, and with regard to the other half, Amr Lehu Ati Raya Delab Yisrael Ana, right? Regard with the other half, right, which the owner of the gourd ox is claiming, right, saying that maybe this person is not, it's not certain that the owner of the ox is actually Jewish. Maybe he actually was non-Jewish. Um, sorry, maybe he was actually non-Jewish and he would actually have to pay full damages, but if he was Jewish, he only has to pay half damages, right? You have to basically say, uh, you have to bring a proof that I'm not a Jew and then I'll give you the other half of the damages. And this is the case that Rachel Lucky just talking about. So interesting passage. It's all predicated on this idea of this abandoned baby. I would assume that this is something that actually did happen occasionally and was practical, um, and I think this is really the first, one of the first times we've seen in our learning of Tafiomi, sort of these types of Gemaras where we see there's a different halacha in terms of how we treat non-Jews. Um, and again, for modern learners, totally makes us uncomfortable. But we see this in many different areas. Chilul uh, Shabbat, returning a lost item, and even damages, this classic thing of damages. We'll see more about that when we get to, uh, when we get to the Babas. I think it's to be expected. Um, I like I I can't bring myself to relate to this as wrong from within the system, even though modern sensibilities and my and my own modern sensibilities go like, wait, that's not fair. Except for that, I think that it kind of really had to be that way, given the what like the social norms, the religious norms, the way society was back in the day, and how Jews were to some extent. I don't know, an island unto themselves 
it makes sense to me that the, that there would be different, you know, determinations here. And I want to point out again, you know, without this question of the majority, they wouldn't be able to make this determination, this halakhic sack, on such a case. Right. And I, I think that's what really we have to think about is like the relationships back then. I mean, look at how many gemars there are about, you know, uh, you know, that it was difficult times, you know, especially when they lived amongst the Romans. So we're not talking about neighborly non-Jews very often. You know, I think that does need to be uh, recognized here. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this app on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.